Hello and welcome to today's episode of Food Focus, the podcast where we seek to discuss, challenge, and learn about issues from farm to fork relating to food. My name is Mike Von Masso. I'm a faculty member in the Department of Food, Agriculture, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph and the host of these discussions that we produce regularly. This week's guest is Crystal Mackay from the Canadian Center for Food Integrity. And I wanted to have a conversation with Crystal because we We've had several conversations and I wanted to record it and talk a little bit about sort of how those of us who uh, think about primary agriculture should interact with or what we can interact with and what are reasonable expectations for what consumers want to know and should know. We hear often about issues of trust in the food system. I'm not so sure that, that there's a trust issue, but maybe that's an issue of semantics, but it is establishing sort of a a baseline of a conversation so that if and when things go wrong, we have an opportunity to engage a consumer in a discussion. And that doesn't necessarily mean things go wrong with respect to a food safety concern or, or something else. Sometimes it's just things go wrong when we see some of these hidden camera videos, which aren't necessarily representative of what we see across all of agriculture. And sometimes we need to just have that conversation to say, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And also be willing to hear consumers say, here are my concerns, and then engaging that conversation and being willing in some cases to change practices. So that gives you an introduction to kind of my perspective on this specific issue. And I thought it was a perfect opportunity to set a foundation for a conversation with Crystal in which we agree on many things. And I think it was an interesting discussion where we talked about how we engage consumers and what is reasonable for us to expect them to know and care about. So here it is, uh, my conversation with Crystal McKay. Crystal, thanks. Thanks for having the, the taking the opportunity to speak with me today. I, I appreciate your time. As I said to you before, one of the things I, I think that you spend a lot of time thinking about is how do we engage consumers in thinking about food and where food comes from? And I guess my first question is, it's pretty clear, both in your research and in mine, that consumers have no idea how food is produced, right? I mean, they don't. Does that matter? I don't think so. I, you know, I've been in working trying to bridge the gap between farmers and consumers basically my whole life because I was born in Toronto, moved to a farm when I was seven. So yeah. I've just kind of always been naturally an ambassador. And I, I've put a lot of thought into it and recognizing most people don't sign up for a degree in agriculture, but they do sign up to eat. Yeah. So we can absolutely have a conversation about food without teaching them or them having a lot of knowledge. And I guess I'll use the example of a car. Yeah. We, a lot of us drive vehicles, many of us. I have no idea how a car is made and I don't plan on learning how a car is made. But I want to be able to trust that the system is right, that they're safe, right? Yeah. That there's quality assurance. And mm -hmm. I want to have choice in the marketplace. You know, do mm -hmm. I want a Ford? Do I want a Mercedes? What can mm -hmm. I, I want choices that are suiting what I want mm -hmm. without having technical knowledge of the process. Mm -hmm. Now, what's happening in agriculture is when things go wrong, then we have this huge disconnect and it's much more difficult to have the conversation when they don't have that base of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So... That's kind of that gap, and you and I have talked about this yes. before, is what do you mean when things go wrong? Yeah. 
So typically when consumers, you know, we eat, you know, at least three times a day, you know, at the dinner table, the drive through wherever, yeah. right? We're connecting with agriculture through our food every yeah. day. So we just take food for granted in Canada. Yeah. We have, it's the challenge of abundance, right? Yeah. We have so much food. We don't consider safety. It's an, it's an expectation. It's no. table stakes. Absolutely. Really, I, Literally, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Pardon the pun intended. Pun, pun yeah. Intended. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. It's expected. Nobody ever goes to the grocery store and worries, is this going to make me sick in yeah. Canada? That's never. Uh, so that's an expectation. So if there's a food safety breach, so something goes wrong, people get sick, mm. uh, you know, worst case scenario, somebody dies then all of a sudden, you know, the panic button gets hit and it's yeah. like, oh, geez, I trusted the government. I trusted yeah. the food system. And now I could be sick or my children could be sick. Now I have questions and yeah. I have no depth of knowledge on the topic. Yeah. So then that's, um, it's big news yeah. and the panic button hits and you don't have the base of knowledge or even know who to ask. Yeah. But then I think there's also evidence that, that we see blips and people inform themselves or some people just say, look, it gets better. I think some people understand that things go wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, a perfect example was when Mad Cow happened, mm -hmm. right? And there was all of this news about, you know, beef and Kreutzville mm -hmm. Jacob and, yes. you know, all of those. But, you know, we didn't see Canadians run away from beef. In fact, we saw Canadians actually come together and say, we trust our food system. We trust what we're being told. We think this is an amazing product and actually saw a slight bump in beef consumption when it happened. Yes. So we had a lettuce scare before Christmas this yes. year. My guess is, and I haven't seen any numbers, that that we've got people eating yeah, <laughs> romaine lettuce, lettuce back to normal. Yeah. And you know, I had a conversation with Keith Warner who said, well, you know, at this time of year, it's coming out of Arizona. It's not even the same place. Nobody knows that, no. but people are just eating eating, eating romaine again. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, obviously things come and go. Bad news comes and goes, but you'll always be judged. The food system and the individuals will be judged on how you deal with a problem, Yeah. right? So part of it is we do have a good food system that is responsible. We yeah. do have good government inspection systems. So when things go wrong, I like to think for the most part, they're dealt with quickly, professionally, and responsibly. So the response, that gets back to the consumer. Where you do see evidence of uh, people staying away from things. So if we look at drops in, say, cereal, eating cereal. Mm -hmm. So gluten-free, you, know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not going to eat, you know, low-carb diets, you know, some of those things. So it's not necessarily a food safety incident, but it can become a trendy news item that can shift a consumer's so, diet. So, so in those circumstances, sort of cereal producers or yes. grain producers become secondary that's not a concern with the food system right. that's a concern with or a choice to eat differently and then we have people who've produced those products who are sort of left without a market and well left without a market yeah they're, 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 they're yeah sure. they're they're hurt sort of not because they're a target but because of the product they produce yes absolutely so I guess, you know, going back to the base of do people need to understand the details of food production for them to trust the system and to, you know, buy Canadian foods? I don't think they do. And realistically, you know, our data is the same as yours. We are not going to educate our way to better trust and, and uh, support for the food system. Absolutely not. So the examples we've used, food safety, mm. mad cow, are really sort of outliers. Yes. But... We've also seen sort of the rise of concerns, and a big one is animal welfare, mm -hmm. where people are saying, well, we're not entirely comfortable with the way 
you know, whether it's battery cages or sow crates, and we can argue the science, and that's yeah, probably sure. not worth doing today. Yeah. But those are a little bit different because they're not like they are the way we do things. Mm-hmm. Do we have to respond to those things differently? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way I look at it, and again, if we use cars, right, consumers mm-hmm. have a right to choice and opinions, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if they don't understand the production of it. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're the customers, right? Yeah. And so when I think about things like animal welfare, you know, obviously we spend a lot of time, as do you, trying to understand consumers' concerns, questions, their, you know, their expectations, basically, of animal mm-hmm. welfare. And then on the farm side, you know, we know some of the realities. So if there's a gap between reality and consumer expectation, there's only two things that can be done. You can bridge that gap by providing more information and being more transparent and, you know, making the consumer feel more comfortable with your existing ways. Mm-hmm. And or you need to change production practices yeah. to meet the demand. And realistically, it's probably going to take both to be successful. I I couldn't agree more. I think agriculture has a profoundly good story to tell. And I think if we look people in the eye and say, this is how we're doing things, this is why we're doing things, 90, 95% of the time they'll say, okay, I get it, that's good. And once in a while they'll say, well, geez, I'm not too comfortable with that. And I think battery cages are probably an example now. We'd argue we've probably gone with a knee-jerk reaction and gone too far beyond what the science says is the right thing, and that's probably not a good thing. But we do need to be able to respond to concerns. And again, the reality is probably somewhere in the middle. Some people are going to say, you haven't gone far enough, and we're going to say, well, we can't. And, you know, with animal welfare, those things are often relatively straightforward, we can argue the science, yeah, but but we're getting now into things like antibiotic use mm-hmm. where the trade-offs aren't as clear, yes. and it's very easy to say things like raised without mm-hmm. uh, and not talk about sort of the welfare and other trade-offs mm-hmm. that, that really were probably better off managing antibiotics effectively, yeah. maybe moving away from sub-therapeutic use a little bit, mm-hmm. but not going away from them completely because of issues of welfare and and animal health that are critical. And those become much more complex discussions. Yeah, and I think I totally agree. And I would say it's because we need to look at these things in balance, that we can't look at animal welfare in isolation. It's a food system. And, you know, if we just use, you know, on the barn I grew up in, you're balancing animal health, animal welfare. You're trying to produce safe food, affordable food, and make a living. So you're balancing lots of different things. And when you look at one piece in isolation, so if we said we want to free every chicken so they can run free, there's a BC chicken farmer that I heard speak, and she was just amazing. And she has birds in a barn, like regular conventional broilers, but she also has free-range birds outside and at double the price, for one. Her mortality in the free-range birds outside is something like 20% ridiculous like from an animal science background you know that would be unacceptable right and she's like but people want those birds outside and she'll say they'll say well aren't they happier outside and she's like well to be honest they're kind of looking over their shoulder for eagles but (laughs) but they are free you know so but i to your point um i love that situation because she's very open and transparent about her production methods. Here's the pros and cons Mm -hmm. and here's the price. Mm -hmm. And that's what I don't see happening. I see some of the demands that are being pushed through raised without whatever Mm -hmm. everybody wants free from everything basically. But at 
the producers getting paid the same price or we're, you know, that you're not maybe we're getting, as I say, we're putting values on the value chain, but we're still being paid commodity prices. Yeah. So there's a bit of a rub there, I would say, too. It's interesting because I, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things, sort of one of the paradigm shifts, maybe that's an old terminology, yeah. but one of the paradigm shifts. <laughs> we need that a I new think, paradigm yeah, shift yeah. for paradigm yeah. shift. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, for agriculture is moving to sort of specific value chains mm-hmm. and acknowledging that some people might want to produce this way with yes. these characteristics and others. And there's been some resistance mm-hmm. in agriculture to that is, you know, because they're different, does that mean we're bad? And I don't think that that's, I don't think that's true, but I think it's probably hampered mm-hmm. progress in developing sort of these value chains and delivering what consumers are asking for? Well, I think that's definitely problematic as our world is going to more customization and segments. Agriculture hasn't. Like, so, you know, I'm from a beef farm. How many options of beef are there? You know, you've got your branded Angus beef. We've got corn-fed beef here in Ontario. There might be like a sterling silver label. A couple, but not... 27 you know it's not that it's not that segmented so i agree that there's been pushback from the farm side of the equation for sure because people feel very defensive and part of it is because some of the differentiation to date which would include organic by the way has been a bit fear-based and uh, kind of throwing the other segment under the bus so i think if we can change the conversation to an and Yes, and. And it's like, oh, you want organic, free-range chicken. Isn't that awesome? Yes, and you want regular chicken raised in a barn for $1.99 because that's what you can afford and you're happy with that. Awesome. Yes, and you want... And it's not just that that's what you can afford. It's because it's completely completely reasonable way to produce chicken. Exactly, right. And so, yeah, so, so maybe it is that terminology. And the irony is in the beef business... How many breeds do we have? And they all we have the most. most yeah, yeah, we have that all that variability. We have the most breeds. Of, we have the most variability on the farm side and the least in the at the it, counter. At, at the counter, right? And, I never thought of it that and, way. And so, you know, if you talk to someone with a specific breed, he or she will articulate forever why their oh, breed yeah. is the best. I'm Charlet, and yeah, my sister's yeah. Angus. So yeah, yeah, I can tell you, I live it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, but yeah. then, talk about a different production practice oh. at all. We get our backs up. And so I think some of it is a little bit thinking differently and articulating why we're doing it. And it's part of it is the inference. So, you know, Loblaws had a commercial about pork without hormones. Yes, I remember Remember that. that? And they pulled it quickly. (laughs) Yes, likewise. So that was removed quite quickly. And, uh, And part of the... You know, the uproar was there was a farmer that was part of the commercial yeah. even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Arm around, <laughs> right? Which uh, so that even added to yeah. the, the drama. But but it was because you're just pointing out like all pork, yeah. and even yeah. if it says like all pork in small font, nobody reads it. Nobody reads it. Yeah. yeah. So how do we how do we segment? And and I think that's a major challenge for our whole sector, whether it's lentils yeah. or beef. To say we need to be able to move faster. And respond to different consumer markets and to, I mean Amazon has 27 profiles of customers now and they're moving to 54 yeah so well right? and and, and uh, I'm older than you and so I sound like a grumpy old man here yeah. today but, but I remember going to the grocery store when I was a kid and there were six different kinds of mustard 
right? Yes. And three or four of them were just different sizes. Of course. And now you go to a grocery store and there's probably 40 or 50 types Absolutely. of mustard. Not, and spaghetti it's, sauce. Yeah. And it's not that you or I want that much choice. It's that you or I want different things and, yeah. and striking that balance. And some areas have done it well and others have done it less well. And it's not only a mindset problem. Mm-hmm. To a significant degree, it becomes an infrastructure problem. Right is is I mean how many beef processing plants do we have in this country right and and so we're putting them all through yeah. streamlining yeah, and then we're streamlining we need to, and we need to fo- cut a funnel our foc- in yeah, our focus out. has been on efficiency yes is food too cheap well not a good question so uh, you know of course we know that we have one of the most affordable food supplies in the world right yes. our percentage of our income that goes to food is you know in the lowest of the world choices. Yeah. Yet when we ask consumers, do you think we have affordable food? Only 24% said yes. So our consumer doesn't actually even appreciate how affordable our food is already. We'll start yeah. with that. And when we ask a long list of concerns, including healthcare, energy, economy, the rising cost of food and keeping healthy food affordable, three years in a row have come up as the top two issues for our country. Yeah. So consumers are reminding us that you have to eat before you do anything else. Yep. So I think agriculture has kind of been taken for granted. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I always joke where the Rodney Dangerfields, you know, yeah. no respect yeah. of the country, right? <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's entirely yeah. the image you want, but I'll let you go with it. Yeah. The no respect of the yeah. sectors, right? And consumers yeah. keep reminding us healthy, affordable food is yeah. is right. And so then I think going back through the supply chain, what we see the pushback from the farm community on is a lot of the demands and changes go back to production. So if you go raise without antibiotics, that means Mm. that goes back to the farm. But there might be three or four players in between the farm and the the markup at the Mm. grocery store. So what we're not necessarily seeing is... Oh, let's use sow stalls. You mentioned mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to ban sow stalls. Yeah. All right. You know, the, yeah. a retailer makes an announcement. A yeah. restaurant makes an announcement. We're all going to, yes, yeah. we're banning yeah. sow stalls. We're, we're going to buy all gestation crate free pork, yeah. right? Well, who's paying to replace all those barns? Who's going to pay to retrofit the millions mm-hmm. of dollars worth of barns? When the farmers being paid commodity prices and losing money in mm-hmm. many cases right now. So... I, I had said to the pork industry, I said, you know what, farmers, you should stand up loud and proud and say, you know what, the science is there, we're on side, we can do better with sow housing, and here's the price tag. Who's yeah. with us? Who's with us? Cheap chip in. You know, it's yeah. going to be a what? Whatever the dollar amount is, I don't know what it is. Here's how many sows we have in Canada. Yeah. Here's what it's going to cost to give them the new version of how We put them in stalls yeah. for better welfare. Now we're going to take them out, because yeah. if we know how to feed them in groups, who's yeah. with us? Yeah. That never has not happening. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting, and, and that gets back to the infrastructure issue. It's not just paying more for each kilo of pork, whether it's pork chop right. or the rotisserie bacon you were telling oh, me about yeah, earlier. Yeah, uh, it's the fact that these investment decisions are lumpy, yes. right? That we can't just flip the switch. And so, if I've just built a barn. I've yeah. planned a return on that barn for the next 30 years. And if I built a barn 15 years ago, I haven't recovered that yet, right? Yes. It's That's a significant investment. It's like someone buying a house. You don't say, suddenly we have a new house, right? Is right. is You have these investment decisions. And some of those transitions are really tough mm-hmm. and don't get discussed in, right. in some of these things. You know, and I remember in some of the welfare discussions we've had, well, we're going to revisit 
the codes mm-hmm. and for better or worse, the yeah. codes in practice. And I think that's been a good thing. Absolutely. But then I hear people saying, well, we're going to do it again in five years. Well, if I'm making strategic decisions as a producer, that becomes difficult if the goalposts move every five years yes. and I'm making 30-year investments. Yes. And so I think, again, that gets back to this lack of understanding Absolutely. that really causes us some trouble. Yes, because it's not just the average person that's buying the groceries that don't have understanding of farm production systems. It's the senior executives at all our big food companies. They're the same people, yeah. right? And for the most part, yeah. not all, but many. And so it emphasizes uh, you know, some of the work we do at the Center for Food Integrity, trying to bring the food system leaders together from farmer yeah. all the way through to retail and food service. And the more those dialogues can happen. So when an executive sitting in their office downtown, wherever they are, and they're like, you know what, we should make a move on something to do with farming, whether it's yeah. a chemical or a animal welfare or yeah. whatever the thing is we're going to do, they should have some farm people in mind that, or some experts that they know that they can have as go-tos to say, you know what, we should check in with this group or these people. We're going to do it. Here's how we can do it. And here's, and is it the right thing to do? If it's the right thing to do, how might we do it in a way that doesn't sort of make the train go off the rails? Right. And Mm -hmm. the rationale behind why. So, you know, the other thing we haven't got to talk about yet is the pressure of critics. So there's a lot of pressure from critics. And it's, you know, again, that that, isn't it awesome. People can criticize the way we grow food with Mm. their mouth full. Right. And so, you know, again, I'm like all about I think it's amazing that we live in a country where we have critics. And so I, I am concerned about the level of influence critics have on specifically our food brands in Canada and some of our retail and food service. So, you know, and with respect, if I was the executive sitting on the other side of the table and critics are coming in Mm -hmm. on a regular basis and pressuring my brand and my people Mm -hmm. in some cases uh, with very professional tactics saying, you need to do this and here's Mm -hmm. why, and putting a lot of noise and Mm -hmm. fire around an issue, then I'm going to feel pressure to move. And I don't think that's the right way that we should be feeding our country. I think we absolutely need to hear critics' concerns and Mm -hmm. acknowledge if there's areas where we should improve, absolutely. But I don't think we should make decisions on how we farm based on what a critic tells a, a food industry. Or at least get a broad range of perspectives. Absolutely. Right? And, and and I think part of the problem we have is, and this isn't unique to the food industry, is we've become this polarized, right? It's it's abs- Everything is absolute. And, yes. and the truth is that it's somewhere in the middle. And having that broad conversation becomes difficult. I remember a student, and I don't know if she ripped it off from someone yeah. else, or I've never looked, or if it's her quote, said to me, a conversation can't be two monologues. And to a significant degree, that's part of our issue. Mm -hmm. Now, we're getting close to the end of the time I promised you I would take. So I I, want to ask you one more question. Where do we go from here? What should we be doing, not only as agriculture, but as a food system to move things forward? Well, when I look at, you know, kind of the big picture of, what we're trying to do at Center for Food Integrity and understanding consumers' questions, concerns, expectations, lack thereof, the biggest thing I see is a question mark. You know, depending on the question, it's whether it's food safety, environment, animal welfare, new technologies. I see almost half of our population saying they're unsure. So while their overall impression for agriculture is fairly high, their like and trust in farmers is fairly high, I say it's a countrywide and a centimeter deep. So 
this big question mark around how we grow our food with interest in knowing more. So yeah. isn't that awesome? So if I you know, was the, the goddess of agriculture and food, I would say our country, the people in the food system, need to host a giant dinner party for every consumer in the country, yeah. literally or figuratively, yeah. and say, you know what, let's start having more conversations about food with credible people having their voice, because there's yeah. tons of conversations happening yeah. about food. Uh, there was uh, Anne Hathaway, a guest on Ellen mm. recently, did a, a fake citrus healing. I'm using air quotes, which you can't see on a podcast, but a fake <laughs> citrus healing uh, yeah. joke on the audience. And she she did. She said, "This is what we do, you know, to do a citrus healing, you know." And then she she tricked them, and she's like, "Okay, this is a trick to teach you. You shouldn't listen to celebrities because you know, yeah. which is awesome, it's, it's right?" Awesome. And on Ellen, which yeah. is even like the best. So yeah. anyway, um, my point being, we can have a little fun with some yeah. of this stuff, but I feel I'm an optimist. I feel we have this incredible opportunity to say while our country is unsure about our food as you said we have a good story to tell but it's not just a story it needs to be a dialogue so that's why i say if we consider it a a figurative dinner party where we have conversations and credible people like you you know we've got the university of guelph here full of food experts well who do they talk to their students and journal articles so how do we get the voices of more experts into these conversations farmers guys that work in the feed industry people that are passionate about feeding our country how do we get them to be part of food instead of listen to this listening. podcast listening good, to the podcast is good start exactly that's a great place to start and yeah so that's a great place to end crystal and i appreciate you taking the time and, and i you said something that i say often is that it has to be a conversation and we have to have the confidence to tell our story as a food system and recognize that there might be some things that someone goes I'm not so sure about that and be willing to go back and forth on it. But because there's so much good to tell with the way we produce food, I think that risk is pretty low. So yeah, it's part of being authentic, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's an authentic conversation. And I would also add on the giving the experts the voice and part of the conversation. We do have a resource called Best Food Facts as well, which people can reference when it's all third party experts. So we recognize if you have a company logo beside your name, you're not as credible on these Mm -hmm. topics, even though you may be very, you know, the best expert in the field. If you've got a company logo, people may not feel comfortable going to you. So this Best Food Facts platform is another place people can go and say, you know what, you can ask a question or search questions that might already be on there, which might help them in their journey as well. Perfect. Well, thanks for your time, Crystal. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, man. wrap up another episode of Food Focus, I thought I would just take a quick moment to thank Molly Gallant, who really does the heavy lifting in producing this podcast. She does all the hard work. I get to have the interesting discussions. Thank Zachary Von Massow for the original music. Before we go, I'd like to remind you again about our foodfocusguelph.ca website. Check out our blog, updated at least weekly. Check out previous versions of the podcast. Check out our trends report and get in touch with us. Food Focus at uoguelph.ca. We'd love to have you send us comments, ideas, suggestions, and just to interact and hear what you're thinking about. Finally, if you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate us wherever you get your podcast as this helps other people find us. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed it and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.